Betsy, thank you. Jonathan, choir and quartet, thank you so very much for leading us in song this morning. We're continuing our series on the God's design for a healthy church, 12 characteristics of a healthy church, and we're getting to the end of our series here next week. Uh, today's message is very important. You gave me plenty of time. I might run over a little bit because of its importance, so I'm just giving you a heads up. Don't be looking at your watch if we're five over. I, I try to get 12 o'clock. I try to respect that, but it is an important message this morning dealing with discipleship. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, the uh, qualities of uh, membership and, dis- and discipline, and we see they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? And we know, as we've studied through the book of Acts, or this second chapter of Acts, which we'll reread here in a little bit, the apostles' heart's desire was to do God's will to fulfill his purposes, and that is basically to know him and to make him known. That's what their purpose was. That's what our purpose is. That's our mission statement, to know him and to make him known. When we looked at uh, membership last week, uh, we said that church membership is voluntary association to a local community of born-again believers, lovingly committed to Christ, his word, and to one another. Isn't that a great description of what the church is about? And that's what we are. And then we talked about church discipline. And it's not a pleasant subject to talk about, but it's an important subject to talk about. And we said that the goal of church discipline is restoration. It's always restoration. God wants to restore a relationship with his people. Continuing in the series, um, we are this week looking at uh, discipleship. And we have these 12 qualities we've looked at. And there's many illustrations that are used to explain things. Uh, we use this wheel and we see how they're connected one to another. Uh, I also like uh, this gem. I borrowed this from my wife. This is her engagement ring. Okay. We're from Texas, y'all, you know. Got the bling. But when we look at God's design for the church, it is a gem. It's God's exceptional making, the way he's woven the church to work. When we have looked at each of these qualities, each of these characteristics, and we've looked at them in detail, we've held them up to the light of scrutiny. And from each of those facets, we get a glimmer of light that reveals God's intent and God's design. And I'm just blown away by it. It's awesomeness. A gem is measured by its cut, its clarity, its color, and its carrot. And we see what a precious gem the church is. Not to be taken lightly, but to be appreciated and to be operated or worked in God's design. So I wanted to point that out to you, that there's many ways that we can make this illustration of what we're looking at with God's design for a healthy church. Today we're looking at discipleship, and we talk a lot about discipleship. And I want to take us back to Acts 2, the passage that we've been using. This has been our template for discussing what healthy church is. Now, we've looked at many things from here, but I'm going to review it with you, and we're going to read it once again. So if you would... Acts 2, 42, 
And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we look at God's uh, design for discipleship, the apostles were very obedient to what the Lord said. In making disciples, the Lord Jesus told us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So they were going to be faithful to this. And that's what we see they were adding to their number Daily, those who were being saved, they were making disciples. They were obedient to the Lord in this. Now, let's understand discipleship and disciple-making. I want to take us back to the very beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that first chapter of Genesis, we read about God making man and woman. And it says in Genesis 1.26 and 27, it says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This interesting word comes up. We've talked about it before. And that's image of God. The imago Dei means image of God. What does that mean? What does that mean, the image of God? It's about our being, who we are. The... uh, Uh, Our very essence, our image bearing of God. And we see this in three primary areas. In our intellect. Uh, When you came in this morning, you didn't notice that there were uh, places to check our brains as you came in. We have some coat racks out here, but there's no place that we check our brains when we come to church, is there? No. So we, God wants our intellect. He wants our emotion and our will. Those three components makes us unique from other created entities in the universe. Animals, they don't have intellect, they don't have emotion, they don't have will. They have instinct and these things, but they don't have these. We're different. We're made in the image of God. And in that image bearing, this is why we must afford respect to those that differ to us, that are just different. We, we, we treat them with respect and dignity because... They bear the image of God. Now, when we talk about discipleship, there come, there, there's a little conflict here, and I don't want to confuse us with this conflict. And it's the uh, relationship between being and doing. Being and doing. There's a difference. They're interwoven, but we need to understand the difference. When we talk about being, it's who we are. It's our essence it's the quality our inequalities that image bearing 
It's our identity. Don't you often, when people say, who are you, what do you do? And you talk about your job. You know, I'm a, I'm a pilot. Really, that's not our identity. Because it says in Acts 17, it says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Our being is in Christ. And so that's important to understand where this starts from, our being. Now, when we talk about doing, doing is an act of obedience that stems from our being. It, it emanates from who we are. Okay? And that's very important. And when we talk about doing, if it's apart from our being, we can get into legalism. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want to confuse anybody. When we talk about doing, that it's apart from our being in Christ, I'm not preaching legalism here or works-oriented salvation. I want you to know that. Now, when we look at disciple, we've talked about this before. We've said that um, it's the uh, it's a discipline to be like or to become like the teacher. Um, we're followers of the teacher or master in Judaism, the rabbi. And we're the Talmud, we're the disciple. And there was that expression in first century Judaism that says, may you walk so close to your rabbi that you walk in the dust of the rabbi. Meaning that as the rabbi thought and did and spoke, so did you. And that was a compliment to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants of us. He wants us to be covered in his dust because we're walking so close to him. That's how the discipleship plays out in our lives. I want to take you to a situation where the Lord Jesus one day was meeting with some of the scribes and Pharisees. And one scribe came up to him and said... Good teacher, what commandment is the most important of all? There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament that the Jews were to follow. And one of the scribes said, which is the most important? Obviously a trap. But look at what the Lord says. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The Lord Jesus puts these two together, saying this is the greatest. And if you notice, it's love God and to love our neighbor. Paul tells us in uh, Romans 13, verse 10, says, love is the fulfillment of the law. So Jesus wisely tells us how we're to fulfill the law here. But he also gives us insight into the disciple-making process. When we see what Jesus says in this passage, he says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's loving God, a vertical relationship. A horizontal relationship, loving others as you love yourself. Irreducibly, it's loving God and loving others. You have an illustration in your um, handout there. It has a little heart on the bottom. I'm not a 13-year-old girl. It's there for a reason, okay? 
And you'll see a triangle there. And in that triangle, we see these three qualities of our image brain. One is intellect. We have a mind. The other is emotion. We have a soul. And we have a will. We have strength. We have volition. Now, that is all comprised within a heart. And as Patsy pointed out, the heart, this is where these things reside. In the ancient Near East culture, heart was the the place where uh, intellect and emotion and will abided. It's the inner being of the person. We call it the heart. And that's where the Lord Jesus tells us that we're to love the Lord with all our heart and then with all these, uh, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. In that heart, there's a throne. We just sang that. Choir, we're on, we're in cahoots today. There's a throne. Much like this. And on that throne, I want you to draw in a little S. And that little S stands for self. It's all about me. You want to talk about me? Talk about number one. Toby Keith reference there. But it's about me. Self. And that's why we get into a lot of troubles, because I'm calling the shots, it's about me. But when we read in God's word that that me has sinned and has fallen short of God's standard, and that God loves us so much that he paid the penalty of our sin, that he took our place, there's an exchange that goes on. I get out of my throne, and I ask the Lord Jesus, I want you to reign over me. So drawing a cross over that S, we've stepped out of that position of the throne and we've asked Lord Jesus to be our king, our ruler. He's the prominent one. And what we see is, as Paul writes in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now he's dwelling there. Now the struggle in the Christian life is sometimes I want to get back on that throne and come to my senses and allow him to reign in that place. I have another illustration for you today, and it deals with this thing called the Disciples' Cross. You know, when we when we um, just sang that beautiful song from the quartet, it comes from Isaiah 64, 8. We are the clay, thou art the potter. And we see God working in our lives. He puts... We're like a lump of clay, and that's that's not a very good description of us, but it's probably very true. It's not very pleasing, but it's true. And he puts pressure on us and molds us and makes us after his will. The master is doing this. Sometimes he puts a little um, water to make it easier for him, and then he puts pressure on it, and sometimes that hurts, doesn't it? But he's making us to be the people he wants us to be. That's the prerogative of the potter, and he does that. So that's one illustration. Um, I like what Paul says. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a great illustration because then he goes on to say, I have been crucified with Christ. 
And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So we're identified with this crucified Christ. The goal of all of this is to become Christ-like. We're to be like the Lord Jesus. That's the whole goal of discipleship. We're to be like Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I want to show you this illustration from this. You know, I have this wheel, and it's a pretty nifty wheel. But I try to be very efficient with my displays. And I want to illustrate this with the disciples crossed. Jimmy probably never thought that this cross would have so many uses, but it does. And I appreciate him making it. Here's that heart. And we have our intellect, emotion, will. We have that throne. And we've placed Christ on that throne. And we learn of the need to put Christ on that throne because of God's word. He teaches us that, that we're sinners and we need a savior. And so Jesus told us that we're to love God and we're to love our neighbors. Loving God in the vertical dimension and then loving God in the horizontal dimension. And that's what we're going to look at and how we put these things into practice as we walk in obedience to God is how we're disciples of Christ. So I learn of Christ through his word. In it, I am taught that I've broken God's laws. I know what God's laws are in the word and that I am a sinner. I need a savior and Christ became my savior when I trusted him to pay the penalty of my sins. I placed him on my throne. As a result of being forgiven for my many sins, I have a new life. And the new life and the forgiveness that I have, I'm not destined for hell. I have a relationship with him, and I have a, I experience his love. And I don't know about you, but I can't contain it. I worship him. So in that vertical relationship, I worship. He tells me I love you and he cares for me and I just worship him. That vertical relationship. In the worship, I do it every morning in, with a cup of coffee, sitting, reading my Bible in prayer. I tell him I love him because he's told me he loves me. And that relationship, you're to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Every ounce of you to love him in vertical relationship. And then he goes on to say, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love your neighbor. We're talking about a horizontal relationship now. These two are, they're not exclusive. It's not just about loving God and the heck with everyone else. No, the love of God causes us to love our neighbors. So when we look at this, I think of what are the areas that we're responsible for in exhibiting love for our neighbors? There's two. And I'm going to keep it simple so you'll remember it. The W's. And just remember, I'm going to call it work of stewardship. We are entrusted. The New Testament talks much of our stewardship. We're entrusted 
with things that God wants us to use for his glory, but also to express our love to others. There are five things that we're entrusted with, and they all begin with T. Each of us is given time. 24-7, 365. Now, some of us have longer lives. Some of us have shorter lives. But we're given today, 24-7. Okay? We're given today, 24 hours today. How we use that time can be focused on me, or I could be helping using a portion of it to love others. Our gathering here today is an expression of loving one another, to encourage one another. Those of you who have taught Sunday school, singing in the choir, you have used your time wisely to love one another. God's eternal. He doesn't need our time, but we need our time to express that love to others. So we have time. Then we have talent. Really, it's a description of spiritual gifting. Each and every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Some have more than one, but nobody has all the spiritual gifts. And so it's important that we learn what that spiritual gift, and hopefully, Lord willing, as we have time, we'll get into that another day, learning about our spiritual gifting. There's ways that you can know what that is. But you use that gift in loving others. Those of you who have leadership and administration, you do that here. Those of you who can teach, you teach. So we see the, this gifting as an expression of love to one another. So time, talent, temple, our bodies. We take care of ourselves. We don't live riotously with drugs and alcohol and tobacco. This stuff kills. And so as long as the Lord gives us life, we to live it healthily, take care of our bodies, our temples, our, uh, 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 our bodies, our temples of the Holy Spirit. So we shouldn't bring uh, these controlling substances in. So time, talent, temple, treasure. I talked about tithing, how important that is. If God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, why does he need your money? He doesn't. But those that we have impact with in our church, we support the ministry of this church. It's how we love one another, and those in our community, we reach out. This isn't free. It costs. But it's the best investment you can make in the lives of people. That's why I showed you that Schindler's List movie. That it's not about the things. He, he started viewing his possessions as people and how valuable that was. So time, talent, treasure, temple, truth. God's given us his word We're to know it and walk in it. And what that does, uh, we're able to teach others and be an example. And that leads us to the other side of the cross here, is that we are witnesses. That's the other thing that we are in the New Testament. Okay, we're, we're witnesses. And when we talk about witness, we often think about evangelism, going out, we're kind of hobnobbing people, or knocking on doors with our Bible, and we're going to share the gospel with them, right? But there's two aspects to witness. One deals with the saint. We witness to saint. You're an example. I can tell you this, that through your witness to my son-in-law, Chad, when he was here, living with uh, Carol and Alma, 
You know, they say more is caught than taught. They were witnessing through their example of godly living. Over in the, in the kitchen, when they're cooking for the men's breakfast, cutting up with Billy Griffin and Ed Thompson, you were showing an example of godly Christian men do. In the classroom with Ed and Carol and, and Jack, teaching, you gave him a chance to try his wings. You were an example to him and then gave him a chance. You, were, you, had, you had the truth and you gave it. He grew. This year has been a tremendous growth in his life. He's, so much so that he's going on to seminary to serve the Lord. He's found his niche. But that was through your witness to the saints. It's not just to sinners. But that's the other aspect of it. We witness to, to those who are lost, those who don't know the Lord. That we are, we tell them the good news, the gospel, that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you call on the name of the Lord, he'll save you. That's the best news. That, you know, the Bible uses... It downplays it. It's the good news. It's the great news. It's fantastic news. It's the best news. And we need to share that. Be willing to share that. So we have this vertical relationship and this horizontal relationship. I love God. He told me he loves me in his word. I love him back in worship. We've done that today. And then how I love you is through the work of stewardship, the things entrusted to me. I'm using for God's glory. And we're loving one another. And I'm a witness to you as well as to the lost. This is God's design. It's, it's so impressive. But it doesn't stop there. You see, it, it, it's this cross. We're becoming Christ-like. And the importance of maintaining this daily... And why that quiet time with the Lord is so critical. You have to understand this. We're all indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And Paul gives us this command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this isn't some charismatic experience. We don't get any more of the Holy Spirit than when we were first saved. But I'll tell you this. He gets more of us. We need to be yielded to him. And when he gets more of us, we we experience his love. His love flows through us. We experience his joy. His joy, we're filled with joy. It just comes out. We feel his, we're filled with his peace. His patience. These are called the fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit of the Holy Spirit. His patience. The kindness that we extend one to another. That doesn't come from me. It comes from him. The goodness. What's right. His faithfulness. That we're people of faith. That comes from the spirit. As I yield myself to him, this comes out. The gentleness. And the self-control. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're walking around town like a big cross and you're glowing because Christ is in you as you walk in obedience to him. And people say, 
There's something different about you. What is it? It's Christ in me. This is the disciple-making process that we yield ourselves to the love of God. We spend time in his word and we, and we worship him personally and then corporately. And then we do the work of ministry one with another. And that we see that we're stewards, we're entrusted with certain things. We play those out, we, we do this and we, we teach others how to do this. When we talk about tithing, for some of you that's new. We're going to talk about it. When we talk about the, the talents that you have in your spiritual gifts, you're going to find out what those are. And you're going to put them into practice. That's how we disciple one another. Spending time with one another and teaching the things of God. And then we'll become witnesses for the saint and sinner alike. It's a, an amazing design. And the reason I spend time with this, and I'm sorry we've got, we're getting close to the end, is that if you understand this relationship with how we're made, the totality of our being, intellect, emotion, and will, our discipleship deals with each of those items. We don't check our brains at the door. We deal with those difficult issues in our faith. But we have evidences for it. When we, when we deal with the emotional things in our hearts, God made those emotions. And we deal with the volition that we have, the choices that we make, the strength that we use. We use it for him. So I hope that this illustrates to you and is a good reminder. We're going to refer to this throughout the time I'm with you all, however long the Lord gives me, to share with you because this is about making disciples. And if you keep this perspective in mind, there's great balance in this. There's a vertical relation, the horizontal relationship. And the wisdom of God in this. And this is what we see in the scriptures. And we're very thankful for it. Here's the challenge for you. We're going to close. And the challenge is this. Discipleship is a lifelong process. It doesn't just... Um, you take a course, you get learn some, memorize some Bible verses, and you're a disciple. No, it's a continual process. It's like... Uh, it's like long distance running. There's no finish line, right? When you're long distance running, you just kind of go and you train and you go. Discipleship, there is no finish line until we stand before the glorious throne of the Lord Jesus. It's a lifelong process of becoming Christ-like. And the challenge is this. Will you be like Jesus in our being? And will you do like Jesus in our actions? That's what discipleship is, is that we're going to be like our master, like our rabbi. We're going to be covered in his dust as we walk with him. And that's the challenge to us as Christians, individual Christians. That's the challenge for us. Every day we become like the Lord Jesus. Lord, mold me and make me after thy will while I'm waiting Yielded and still. You know, when the potter is working with the clay and the clay gets kind of hard or brittle, it's no good, is it? Uh, the challenge for us as Christians is to be malleable, moldable to the gentle pressures of our Lord. He's training us. He's teaching us as we walk with him in this pilgrim's life. When we have pressure on us, just realize, Lord, you're in this. You're the one that I can trust because I know you're the master potter. You can make me to be like your dear son, like the Lord Jesus. 
And each and every day, spend time with the master. Spend time with your Lord because he's going to fill you with his spirit. Your spirit, his spirit is within you. And what we're doing is we're letting that Holy Spirit have more of us and less of me. I'd like to close. This message is for Christians. It's people who have put the Lord Jesus on the throne of our hearts. You might be here and you still got that little S right there, self. It's all about me. It's all about number one. And you've never made that transaction. Say, Lord, I want you on the throne of my life. So we're going to take a moment. I'm going to ask you to bow. And I'm going to, if you would like to be a Christian, if you would like to put Christ on the throne of your life, I would like you to pray this prayer. Dear God, I thank you for hearing this message. I thank you that you died on the cross and paid for my sins. I know I'm a sinner. You paid for my sins. And now I ask you to save me. Would you grant me eternal life now and forever with you in heaven? Keep your heads down. If you've prayed that prayer, would you please raise your hand? I'd love to uh, acknowledge it and just talk with you about it. Great. If you have a need in your heart that you have a loved one, a family member that you have a heart for and you'd like them to be Christians or there's a physical or medical need, would you please raise your hand? I have a silent request. I want you to pray, preacher. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you know the burden these dear ones who have raised their hand have for knowing that you can take care of their loved one or their family situation or their circumstance that they're in. You want to meet them. And Lord, we're asking you to intervene in these situations so that they will see absolutely clearly and precisely that it was you who did this and that they see that you're alive and you're active and you're real in their lives. And I pray that you would answer the, the silent requests of each heart here for these loved ones and circumstances that they're in, that you, Father, would manifest yourself to them and in this situation. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. We're going to have our hymn of invitation. Um, if you would like to come up and pray with me or, or another... I invite you to do that. If you would like to come up for salvation, whatever is on your heart, be happy to do that. And there are those who have met with our membership team, and they'll come forward and we'll uh, move to receive them this morning. So with our hymn of invitation. We have the pleasure of welcoming, welcoming the Lewises. If you'll get, they, they'd rather see the front of you than the back of you. They, this is Millard and Lauren Lewis. They have a baby daughter, Ava. We have an Ava. Joe and I have an Ava, a granddaughter. And this is Colin, great baseball player. So you, you want to get his autograph now. It's going to be, get his rookie card now. But they have met with the membership team and they've, um, met the criteria for membership, and is there a motion that they'd be received into the body?
Okay, is there a second? All in favor? Say aye. Aye. Opposed? I'm going to ask you as we close in prayer that you'll come down, offer them the right hand of fellowship into our church. We're so excited about them being a part of this and what God's doing in these younger families and, and so excited about this. So if you'll take the time to come and visit them, but we'll, we'll dismiss in prayer. Father, we thank you for your desire for us to be like the Lord Jesus. And we pray that we would be your disciples, your Talmud, who walk in your ways, covered in your dust because we're walking close to you. Help us to do this. We thank you for Miller and Lauren and, and Colin and little Ava, that they would be connected and a part of this body of believers here. I pray, Father, that we would be such a blessing to them to encourage them in this pilgrim's walk of being faithful and true to you and loving you and that they would be a blessing to us as they already have been. We pray, Father, for us, your people, your saints, to be representatives of the Lord Jesus here in the body and in the community, and that you would receive the glory and the praise and the honor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.